Jen T. Grace is the founder of Publish Your Purpose Press and the author of several books herself. Her company is a hybrid book publisher that focuses on nonfiction and memoirs. With no research whatsoever, I just started a publishing company without even thinking about it. And I'm glad that I did it that way because if I had researched the amount of work and effort and labor and nuance that starting a publishing company would have brought, I probably wouldn't have done it. So I'm actually really kind of grateful that I just trusted my instinct and I was like, you know what? This is what I'm being called to do. This is what we're going to do. As you can tell, Jen is a proponent of the just do it philosophy when it involves people following their passions. Why not just do it when that instinct kind of arises and just, you know, and it's it's easier said than done, of course, but, you know, just try to push back past those fears and say, you know, like if I'm being called to do this and I'm I'm in alignment, then all of the stuff that kind of comes up, it's not going to feel so hard because at least you're going to be doing something you're passionate about and that you love. So I would just say do it. Um, you know, it's probably not the best advice, but it's what I would say. Jen is concerned with the lack of diversity in the American publishing industry and says they need to be seen for the major corporations they are. However, she sees hope in the fact that people are starting to demand that more diverse voices be heard. Now with social media and everyone kind of can have an equal playing field for a platform and being able to just kind of stand up and say, like, I am not tolerating this and not knowing how viral something might go. It is forcing corporations at large, not just publishing, but many corporations to be like, we, we really need to figure out how we're going to address this issue. So I do have some hope that the systemic issues are starting to be addressed, but we are decades away from anything close to equality or equity. Jen also talks to Run It Like a Girl host Bonnie Moak about the importance of resilience. You know, I found in the past that it's hard to kind of explain or teach someone to have resilience. It's more of like you have this like flabby muscle that you just have to be like, okay, how do I, how do I just start exercising it so it's there when I need it? Publisher and author Jen T. Grace on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. Really excited today to be recording here in rural Ontario and thrilled for the opportunity to have the chance to speak with Jen T. Grace, who is the founder of Publish Your Purpose Press. Jen, thank you so much for joining us for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to seeing where this conversation takes us. I can't wait. And I always love it because the conversations always go weird and wild places sometimes, but it's always really fun and good. So we'll dig right in and just, uh, you know, a pretty broad question. Would love to start with uh, have you tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to be where you are today. Yeah, I always love those big, broad questions that are like, how do I consolidate 40 years of my existence into two minutes or less? But I'm going to try. So I, as you said, I'm the founder of Publisher Purpose Press. And so we are a hybrid book publisher that focuses on nonfiction, nonfiction books and memoirs. And they're often, I say, you know, it's... Um, underrepresented communities, underrepresented voices, people who are high achieving, have unique voices, who often kind of gravitate toward us because we have just a slightly different approach to the publishing process where our goal is to really, really embrace the author and all of the things that they're doing. So it's not just the book, but it's also how does your book tie with your business? How does it tie to your speaking? How does it tie to the client work that you might be doing? And so the publishing industry here in the U.S. is notoriously very straight, white, and male. And so 
we really serve a lot of authors that are not those particular things. And so that's, you know, it's just something that I'm personally passionate about. And I ended up doing this work because I've written six books of my own. And when I was in the middle of my second book, everyone I knew was asking me how on earth I figured out how to do it. And so that kind of organically led to me showing people how to do it, which led to people saying, you just showed me, but I'd rather you just do it for me. And then you know, five years later, here I am. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I love, I love how you say, you know, you're kind of representing um, people whose voices may not have had the opportunity to be heard if it wasn't for a publishing place like yourself. And you kind of answered this, I think, but just in case there's anything else you'd like to add. Um, so is that, is that the reason you started your own publishing? Like, how did you decide I'm starting my own publishing company? Forget, forget this. <laughs> That's a so good question. So previous to to me publishing other people's work, I had a consulting company. And so that started back in 2000 between 2006 2009. So it's been it's been a while at this point. And in that work, I was focused on the LGBTQ market. And so I was helping LGBTQ people market themselves, help find helping corporations market to the LGBTQ community, et cetera, et cetera. And so when I kind of saw that opportunity, because I would go out and speak, I did a lot of speaking and I still do, but I would go out and get paid a really good amount of money to go just share my kind of wisdom uh, around the topic that I was an expert in. And I had this epiphany one day thinking, well, it's interesting if I'm standing on front on the stage in front of 500 people, 5,000, doesn't matter how many. What if I were behind the scenes helping other people push them out on the stage. Like what bigger of an impact could I make on this world by helping a hundred people be in front of an audience of 500. And so it was kind of like that in a, in conduct in conjunction with the people that I was showing how to get their books done. And they were finally like, I just want you to do it for me. I kind of had this moment. It was in August of 2015 where I had heard it twice in the same week of, can I just pay you to publish my book for me? And I sat with it and I was like, oh, this is not what I wanted. I wanted to build an online course that was scalable. Like, I, like I, I'm not trying to start a new business here. And when I sat with it, I was like, you know, I, I, I have to do this. And so with no research whatsoever, I just started a publishing company without even thinking about it. And I'm glad that I did it that way, because if I had researched the amount of work and effort and labor and nuance that starting a publishing company would have brought, I probably wouldn't have done it. So I'm actually really kind of grateful that I just trusted my instinct. And I was like, you know what? This is what I'm being called to do. This is what we're going to do. So it kind of chose you. It, I 100% did. <laughs> I, I think that's great. And I love, um, I love how you say, you know, instead of you being out front, how can you help others and how much greater your impact will be and how many more people you can provide those opportunities to. So the next question I'm going to kind of broaden a little bit. Um, so I'd love to know, so you start about like, you know, you didn't do a lot of research. You just, you knew you had to do it. You got started, you went and you got it done. What advice would you give to someone that wanted to start something that felt like they were being called towards something but we're still hesitating and really just didn't know where to start. What would you say to them? I would, I would say to follow my steps and literally just do it. Like don't overthink it because I think, you know, it's that whole adage of the universe throws you, you know, throws a couple pebbles and you ignore them. Then it throws a couple rocks, you ignore those. And then all of a sudden you're getting hit with boulders because the message is so loud and so clear that like you have to be doing this. So rather than waiting until you get to that place of maybe having some kind of, I don't want to say like some kind of like mental health issue maybe or some kind of health issue because you're on the wrong path. And now the universe has to throw you boulders, to get you to pay attention. 
why not just do it when that instinct kind of arises and just, you know, and it's, it's easier said than done, of course, but, you know, just try to push back past those fears and say, you know, like if I'm being called to do this and I'm, I'm in alignment, then all of the stuff that kind of comes up, it's not going to feel so hard because at least you're going to be doing something you're passionate about and that you love. So I would just say, do it. Um, you know, it's probably not the best advice, but it's what I would say. Ah, you know what? I think it's great advice because I think so many times people have their passions and, and they're like, oh, it's my side project. Or, you know, like how many people are truly, truly happy with the work that they do every day? And if, you know, if more people were to follow that, those stones that are being thrown at them, if more people were to just get started, I think it'd be amazing what individuals can see what they can actually accomplish. Um yeah. So it's pretty fantastic. And I also think you obviously knew what you were doing. You might not have had the background in publishing, but you had the experience and expertise. And people that are feeling that way about whatever their dream is probably also have the experience or expertise that can help them at least get started in what they want to do. Yeah. And you know what I think is another blessing to that, though, is that a lot of people, especially in the early days of me doing this, were attracted to us because I didn't have that traditional publishing background. Because the way that, and think about it in whatever industry you might be working in, right? For those that are listening. So because you don't have that traditional background can sometimes be your best advantage. I agree. I think that's great too, because you're not caught up in everything of the history of whatever that business is or how it's supposed to be done. You can do it your own way. Um, I think that's great. So you also, you've talked about the lack of diversity in the publishing industry. Why do you think that traditionally is? And what do you think needs to happen to change it? Jeez, that is a big question. So, you know, I th- at least here in the U.S., I feel like it's the publishing industry I look at as like just that big monolithic behemoth of an industry that has no incentive to change. You know, I just other than peer pressure by authors and readers to say, like, things have to be different. But it has notoriously been run by a number of very, very large corporations. And for some reason, it seems like when we think about, you know, the the big five publishers, we think of like, oh, they're the big five publishers. We don't think like they're big five corporations. So it's kind of interesting that for some reason, the publishing industry kind of gets a pass, even though they're 100 percent corporations. And so I think. You know, if we just look at the diversity data and demographics that exist and just looking at the number of women who serve on boards of directors of fortune companies, I, I want to say it's like there's three, like on, on a, like out of, a, out of the, the fortune 500, I think it was. And I could be completely wrong on the statistics, so don't hold me to it, but it's something ridiculously low. And so when we look at just the gender imbalance, That's problem number one. And then we look at the race imbalance and it's, you know, the history of the United States is founded on racism. So it is no surprise that so many corporations are so heavily driven by white men. And so, you know, I think that it's just kind of a legacy problem and issue. And so I find hope in the fact that the public is demanding more diverse voices be heard. And I don't think, and I'm sure the public's been demanding it for a while, but now with social media and everyone kind of can have an equal playing field for a platform and being able to just kind of stand up and say like, I am not tolerating this and not knowing how viral something might go. It is forcing corporations at large, not just publishing, but many corporations to be like, we, we really need to figure out how we're going to address this issue. So I do have some hope that the systemic issues are starting to be addressed, but we are 
decades away from anything close to equality or equity. And so, you know, I think that the beautiful thing about the publishing industry is that so many people see the big five publishers as that corporate machine, and they don't want to work with the corporate. And so what's great is that there's companies like mine and thousands of us out there that are now like digging into their market share because people are choosing to work with that independent press, or they're choosing to work with someone who looks like them or represents you know, represent some value with them. So it doesn't have to be this corporate exchange of, of whatever it might be. And so I think that also will have a, will have a big impact on just how kind of the evolution of the industry just continues to continues to evolve. Yeah, no, you know, and I think you're right. And I like how you put it is like, they're actually just corporations. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you're right. And and Canada certainly has our own uh, history of, of racism and uh, systemic, um, systemic issues within corporations. And I do think that I'm seeing um, more demand for change. You know, I think a lot of it stems from, you know, started maybe with things that were happening in the States last summer around George Floyd and other mm-hmm. an- uh, anti-racism and violence that were happening. But um, I think there is hope in that. And I, I agree. I think more people are looking for organizations that align with their values and align with what they want to kind of be sitting beside in terms of where they're willing to work or who they want to do business with. Yeah, which is so beautiful. And it's been, you know, it's been, we've been moving in this direction for at least 15 years that I can see from my previous consulting work in the LGBTQ space of LGBTQ individuals saying, I am not shopping with that company or I'm not doing business with that corporation because of their policies that are in incongruent with who I am as a person. So I saw that you know, 15 years ago, just from that small lens. And you know that all of the other kind of lenses of identity, people have been seeing it too. So it's just really kind of heartening to see like, all right, you know, eventually all of these smaller voices will topple kind of that one larger voice. It's just a matter of how long is that going to take? Absolutely. And I, and, and unfortunately the pandemic, I think, especially, you know, women, marginalized women and marginalized communities has really kind of um, put a, put a wrench in a lot of the uh, great Uh, gains that have been made. Um, And I'm just curious from your perspective, uh, how do you feel about that? Are you seeing any of that? I mean, up up here, you know, in Canada, we see if someone has to leave the workforce to look after kids, it's typically the female in the in the household um, that always seems to have to step back. Just wondering, do you see similar things um, where you are? Yeah, I'm certainly not an expert in this area, but I have many authors who are, and it definitely seems to be seems to be a pattern. I was actually doing an interview on my podcast earlier today with with the author, and she was talking about she writes kind of about um, just like the feminist movement, and she was talking about how just the inequities right now with women, or not even right now in the last year, with how COVID has really really just added such an unfair burden to women more so than men as it relates to the childcare and, you know, having to sacrifice their jobs and kids are being, you know, homeschooled and, and just all of those things. So yeah, I I feel like it's, it's probably, I feel like, I feel like Canada, you do so many things better than the U S does. Um, so if, if it's bad there, just imagine it's probably 10 times worse here. Well, (laughs) I, uh, I, 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 I love our neighbors to the South. I just think it's been a rough, uh, few years, <laughs> um, from, from my perspective, looking, looking out, but, um, I have to ask you, what's your podcast name? It's called Invisible Stories, Right to be Seen. Awesome. And it's really for kind of aspiring writers and, you know, people who just want to hear authors that have different perspectives on how they approach the process. 
Oh, that's really cool. I will check it out. I, uh, well, I love podcasts. Um, it's, uh, I, I'm addicted. Um, Same. <laughs> so my next question is really, uh, what does resilience mean to you? So fighting through, you know, any kind of challenges or overcoming obstacles and getting back up and keeping on, keeping going, what does it mean to you? Oh, I feel like resilience is one of the most important skills or muscle, either skills to learn or muscles to strengthen. Because to me, I actually, I published my memoir. So I've written five nonfiction books and I published my memoir uh, over COVID in the fall of last year. And it's called House on Fire. And of course, I don't know the subtitle in it. I say this because resilience is in the subtitle. Um, Finding Resilience, Hope and Purpose in the Ashes is the subtitle. And so, you know, it's a memoir, so it just shares all of the all of my sordid traumatic past, which there's a lot of it. Um, but I feel like resilience is that just ability to bounce back, is the ability to to. It's almost like the those clown punching bags with the sand in the bottom, where you like punch the clown and it like bounces back up. The kids play with. Oh yes, yep, I know them. <laughs> <laughs> it like to me that's kind of what resilience feels like sometimes, where it's like all right, like I'm just going to keep getting hit and I have to just keep coming back until, you know, until something changes or something breaks and not necessarily like your face breaking because you got punched by the clown, but you know, like, you know, like something has to snap where you have to do something different to kind of change whatever that environment is that's causing you to need to be causing the need for you to be resilient in the first place. So I don't know. I just think it's like some kind of, it's from the inside. I don't think it's like a and outside in like, oh, I can just kind of learn about resilience. I think it, in a lot of ways, it's something that's innately in us. And sometimes we have to draw, draw, draw up a lot of it. And other times it's like, all right, I can just kind of, I don't have to be in survival mode. I can just kind of mo- uh, mosey about my day. But, you know, I found in the past that it's hard to kind of explain or teach someone to have resilience. It's more of like you have this like flabby muscle that you just have to be like, okay, how do I how do I just start exercising it? So it's there when I need it. I, I like that. I like how you, how you say that, that, yeah, it's like a muscle that needs to be strengthened be, uh, because you're right. I think resilience is within everyone. It's just, how do you actually pull, pull that out of you when, when you need it? Um, and I think a lot of people find out when they do need it. <laughs> and that's, yeah. uh, unfortunately when they try to start strengthening it. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, you're, you were, you're a consultant, um, you actually six time author yourself. How has that shaped the way you work with the authors who are under your publishing company? You know, I will say that it has, it's obviously been an, uh, an advantage because there are a lot of publishers or people who are publishing consultants who have never written a book themselves or published a book themselves, maybe on behalf of others, but haven't gone through that process themselves. And so on the nonfiction side of things, you know, having, having, you know, written five nonfiction books, four nonfiction books, one's more of like a, a it's a mental health journal for uh, parents who have children with some, you know, significant mental health needs. So that I feel like doesn't really count because it's more of a journal, but still it, it kind of, for me, it's like, okay, this is just, this is how the process works. Like I can like, so I, so in the last five years, I have been able to relate and empathize on such a deep level with nonfiction authors, because I know exactly how they're going to feel. Maybe not know down to the day when they're going to hit certain plateaus or like you know, the ebbs and flows, but I can predict it pretty accurately at this point, just from my own experience. But 
having written my memoir and published that last year, that is a whole other can of, of deep levels of wow. Now I really know, cause I've coached so many people through memoirs, so many. And like, and I can, I'm like, I'm an, I'm an empath. Like I, I can really like be in it and like sit with people. However, not until I did it myself where I was like, oh, wow, like this is really how this happened. So, and I did, I wrote my, my memoir for two reasons. The first was to really just kind of free myself from my own story. So when people kind of ask questions about it, I'm like, just go read the book. Like, I'll give it to you for free. Like, I just, I, like, I don't have the time to try to explain all of the dimensions of this to give them context and come back. And so that was like, I just needed to feel free from my own story. But the other piece was I have to walk the talk, walk the walk and talk the talk. And so by having gone through it personally and having those moments on a pretty consistent basis lately where someone reaches out and they're like, hey, I read your book. And I have that like heart dropping, like that sinking to the pit of your stomach of like, oh, what are they going to say? And it's it's not it's been nothing but positive since I published it. But I'm always waiting for like something. And so it's just it's been really powerful to really relate on such a deep level to what other people are experiencing. And I think that just builds a bigger, deeper level of trust with who you're working with. Absolutely. To know that um, you've gone through what they're going through, that you can help them through those different ebbs and flows of writing a novel is, is probably something that most can't provide. And also just uh, for our listeners, if you check out the show notes, there'll be links to where you can find all of Jen's books and uh, in, in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. Um, so this, this last formal question, and then we got into some of our fast three, but is a question we ask all of our guests. Um, I just, I love the answers so much. They're all different and they, but they have similar themes. Um, if you could go back in time and talk with a younger version of you, uh, what would you say over lunch? What would the advice be? I feel like it's such a cliche statement, especially in the LGBTQ space, but like, it'll get better. Like it gets better. You know, like it doesn't, it's not always going to be this shitty and this hard, <laughs> you know, like to just have like some, I don't know, some kind of like, I always, it's weird because I feel like I've always had like this inner drive and this inner, like, okay, like. I know that there is like something on the other side and I know that I can use my experiences and my story and all of the not so great things that have happened to help other people. But when you're, you're the younger self, like you might be like, okay, there's something bigger here, but you don't have words for what that something bigger is. So I think I would just tell myself that like, yes, you do use this, use what's happening to you now to help other people later. And I feel like that would have been comforting to hear. I think that's a message that so many young people um, that are going through things or facing whatever adversities they are facing needs to hear, right? Like, and, and, you know, people can say it. And the problem is, is do people believe it? <laughs> it's yeah. so hard to take that advice. Um, but looking back, you know, that that is, that is what you wish for yourself. Um, yeah. so thank you for that. So that kind of, that brings us to the end of kind of our formal questions. And now we have the fast three, which is just how we find out great information that we can all go and go off and read or listen to. Um, so the first is, what is your favorite podcast or source of information? So I have a couple of favorite podcasts, most of which are probably not suitable for, um, like they're not, they're not like, uh, business, uh, business podcasts, but I'm going to say them anyway, because that's how I, how I operate. Um, so there's one that's by, uh, the BBC called the wheel of misfortune and it's a Scottish comedian and an Irish comedian. And it is just a wheel 
with topics that are awful and they spin the wheel and they talk about whatever the topic is and there it's awful, but it's hilarious. Um, so that's like my guilty pleasure. Cause it's completely like, if not R rated and some episodes are probably like X rated. Um, but I, they make me laugh and it's something that I enjoy. Um, and then there's also a podcast that I enjoy called I mom so hard. And it's also two comedians and they just talk about, um, just all of the, the funny things about being a mother. Um, and I really enjoy them as well. So those are my, uh, those are my two real guilty pleasures that I've never said publicly before. So here we are. Well, here you are. And I, and I love that. And you know, what's funny is someone was just talking about the wheel of misfortune, um, really? a couple of days ago and told me you have to check it out because it is absolutely hilarious. It really is. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good. I just, I'm a big fan of Fern Brady, who's the Scottish comedian. And so when I saw that she was doing a podcast, I'm like, well, I don't even know what, care what the topic is. Like I have to, I have to listen to this. Now I'm hooked. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, and now I have to download it because I didn't the first time I heard my so stones coming at me. I need to, I need to there now go, <laughs> go have some guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, so what are you currently reading? So are we, are we talking nonfiction or fiction? Anything or you want. Um, any, like I can tell you right now, I'm currently reading the uh, first Outlander book. Um, oh, fun. So yeah. So anything you want, whatever you're reading. <laughs> well, I'm always reading. I usually have at least four things going at once right now. I do have three books at the moment. Uh, one is uh, Magic Lessons by Alice Hoffman. It's it's the prequel to Practical Magic. Oh, cool. That, um, yeah, she's got a whole... I didn't realize how many books she had. Um, so that, that one's fun. Um, there's also another comedian that I'm a big fan of named Liz Mealy. And she just... And I don't know what your cursing policy is on this show. Um, but you can edit this out if needed. <laughs> but it's called Why, Cat, Why Cats Are Assholes. <laughs> and that is the exact title of the book. And then I'm le- reading a nonfiction book that's called The Ultimate Sales Machine, which is just about, you know, improving your business operation. So very eclectic mix awesome. of things. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, you need something for the mood you're in. So you can pick right? <laughs> based on that. I also have a couple books on the go. I can't help it. Um, and then our last question for you is, who is currently inspiring you? Who? Can I answer it as a what is currently inspiring me? Absolutely. Because there's a lot of who's that are involved. So I recently, the idea of human design was recently brought to my attention within the last couple of months. And so I am down that rabbit hole so deep right now where I have, I've subscribed to like 10 different podcasts that all have like different lenses on it because I just find it so fascinating because it kind of blends like just this, the quantum like quantum field meets spiritual meets a whole bunch of other things in the middle. And I find it very fascinating. So I'm, I'm inspired by just that in general, even though I don't have any information enough to actually articulate anything yet. But I'm also inspired by all of just the different people who have dedicated their lives to helping other people really understand this. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, well, Jen, I want to I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to chat with me. It's been it's been really awesome. So uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been great. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. <laughs>